there y'all are now no doubt you're in the gym listening to this after all the great advice uh, you were given last week about where to get the cheapest and the best and the most convenient gym maybe you're actually uh, on your way to a game with Corpin you're playing in the bondy or floorball or you might have taken up paddle which is uh, rivaling golf now amongst uh, the young and not so young men definitely here in Stockholm and certainly around the country I'm going to try to visit uh, a few of them in our row now in the very near future you're listening to the latest episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor. Uh, I hope everybody is back in the swing of things now after the Christmas break. And this week, I'm going to talk to you about COVID and about the things that have been going on around here. Now, as I'm speaking to you today, there has been some uh, new recommendations announced for Sweden, right? And those recommendations are basically the government has given um, restaurants and uh, sporting bodies and that kind of thing. They've given them the opportunity to use vaccine passports if needs be. So it looks like somewhere down the line, if numbers continue to rise and they rose an awful lot, especially in northern parts of Sweden, where the ski lifts are over the Christmas. So, you know, if that continues to happen, you may find yourself being asked for a vaccine passport when you go to places, right? But one of the stories I want to bring you today is actually one, actually the two people I actually spoke to them at the very start of the pandemic and I'm checking in with them now again. But the first one is a scientist named Jerry McInerney. And I remember uh, getting in touch with Jerry way back at the start of the pandemic because he had made a discovery to do with antibodies. Antibodies are basically what uh, your body produces to attack any virus that comes into it. And there's various different ways of studying these things. But, you know, sometimes animals are used, sometimes mice are used, sometimes rats are used. But what caught uh, my attention about Jerry, who works at the Karolinska Institute here in Stockholm or in Solna, was that it was an alpaca named Tyson, right? So when I saw that, I just went, okay, Tyson, you know, knockout blow, COVID, and this shit writes itself after a while when you're in journalism. So I did a story for the Reuters News Agency, and I decided a year and a half, or almost nearly two years later, to check back in with Jerry, because an awful lot has happened since... Back to the last time I spoke to him, there was no vaccines, there was nothing else, you know, there was nothing on the horizon even. And even at that stage, you know, you were thinking a vaccine that was capable of being consumed by humans, you thought, Jesus, this is miles away. And yet, so much money, billions were thrown at this. And eventually now we're at the stage where countries are demanding vaccine passports. You never would have guessed it two short years ago that they would have been able to do that. But that's science. So I had a fairly long conversation with Jerry about the science behind all these things. And in a little while, I'm going to talk to Martin Hessian of Veerstrom's Pub, because if the science is one thing, you know, the test tubes and the testing and the research and the peer reviews he'll talk about is one thing, there's real world consequences for all these things, right? So Martin owns a business, uh, Veerstrom's Pub, one of the best, the best pub probably in Stockholm, certainly the best Irish pub in Stockholm. And Martin had plenty of staff and that kind of thing down there when the, the pandemic broke out. But even though Sweden had a quite light touch approach to regulation and closing places down, one of the few places they could get at using the licensing laws was bars and restaurants. So Martin ended up having to, unfortunately, let a lot of his staff go. Uh, you know, he's, his, obviously his takings went down drastically. So uh, I'm going to drop in and check in on Martin and see what he's up to and see if things have improved. And, you know, indeed, what vaccine passports might mean. Are we going back down in the hole again? But in the meantime, here is Jerry and talking about Tyson and talking about vaccines and all those other good things and the value of science as well. So, uh, well worth a listen to Jerry McInerney and Tyson the Alpaca. Jerry, tell me about Tyson the Alpaca and his role in combating the coronavirus. Yeah, so um, our research involved using antibodies from alpacas uh, as tools. This was pre-pandemic. This is what we were doing. Uh, using them as tools for studying 
how virus proteins interact in cells, interact with cellular proteins and with each other in that. And then so when the pandemic started in early 2020, we realized we had a tool that could be potentially useful. And many people around the world were in the same position thinking that, you know, what I have could be useful in this pandemic. But what, so what we decided to do very early, my research group and that of, of a couple of my colleagues, was to combine our resources and, and use this alpaca antibody technology that we had developed with some of my colleagues to make antibodies that would attack the spike protein of the virus, yeah. SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus. And that means attacking the protein so that it can't sort of attach to the cells, is that exactly. right? Exactly. So that's what antibodies do in natural infection and in vaccination is they, they uh, evolve very quickly in the immune system to recognise virus proteins and bacteria and, and other pathogens and uh, stick to them like glue with, with stronger affinity than the receptors in the cell so, so that so the antibodies bind to the virus and simply in in many cases just block the virus physically from getting into the cells and and that's that's the basis of of in many cases how we get better when we get an infection not just COVID-19 but any viral infection we generate an immune response and that immune response is there are other arms of the immune system but antibodies bind to the virus and they stop them from replicating and uh, and that's generally how we get better from viruses. And that's how people are getting better now after vaccination. Mm. Um, we, we can talk about Omicron. That's the complication to the whole thing, of course, mm. now. But early in 2020, we decided what we would do is we would immunize uh, an alpaca. And the first one we did was Tyson that, that you heard about before. We essentially made um, a primitive vaccine that mm. we could give to Tyson, which is a, a, a just spike protein from the virus. And Tyson then launched this very strong immune response against against that, that uh, uh, protein. And we were able to clone from a small blood sample from that alpaca um, uh, antibodies. And the reason why we used alpacas and not mice or, or other uh, animals or, or even human patients uh, was that alpacas have a very, uh, very special immune system where they have small antibodies that are much easier to work with in the lab. Mm. And we could clone them much easier and we can make uh, copies of them. And, and the idea was, at least, you know, drawn on the back of an envelope as a very simple idea, was that we would, uh, and many other labs were doing the same thing, was produce these antibodies in the lab, find the ones that best bind to the spike protein and best block the infection, uh, and that we would be able to produce, or, or some other company would be able to produce them and use them as a therapy to give to people who are sick with COVID uh, or as a diagnostic test, for example. Mm. And it worked very well. Uh, and you, you came and interviewed us and, and that, that report went around the world and it was a lot of fun to see. We were picked up. Uh, the, like, the world's most famous alpaca for a well, while. For a little while. <laughs> uh, yeah, and even like I have colleagues in India that told me that there was a little report uh, based on your Reuters article in their local newspaper in wow. Hindi. And she sent me a copy of it. Of course, it doesn't mean anything to me, but it was, it was just, it was really exciting to I be there. I finally made you famous. A little bit, for a few minutes. My 15, <laughs> exactly, 15 minutes, minutes of yeah, fame. Yeah. Um, so, uh, long story short, we, uh, we, made, we made a partnership with an American company uh, who were going to make a diagnostic, a rapid antigen test, a little bit like the ones we take now, hmm. um, where the antibody was going to be used. We could make tons of it, well, grams, actually, hmm. which is enormous amounts, uh, and then use it to make a, a very simple rapid antigen test. And it, and it worked a little bit in prototype, uh, but for some technical reasons it never made to the market. And it's probably a good thing now because the virus has evolved, right? Mm -hmm. And we had 
at that point we were still talking about the founder strain, the Wuhan virus. Mm. Uh, but then came Beta and Delta and now Omicron, uh, which have evolved to avoid the antibody response in patients and in vaccinated people. Uh, and uh, has also avoided the Tyson antibody that we made. So the Tyson antibody is essentially useless now. So a bit like the boxer, he had his era and now it's over and there's yeah. a new king on the throne, so right, to speak. Right, right. Or, or another an boxing analogy would be if you go up against a fighter that's got a particularly strong jab, say, yeah. you learn to defend against that pretty quickly. Hmm. And that's what the virus did. It came up against people that are vaccinated and antibodies that were hitting the spike protein and the virus has evolved to mm. defend itself against those antibodies. And that's what we're seeing with Omicron. Okay. But what we know now, thanks to the work with Tyson and the work that you've done here and your colleagues in this corridor, like you were saying to me just before we came in here, you guys have been pretty busy for the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but this, we're in a sort of a better place now in terms of we're not starting from scratch. You were already working in the field of viruses and trying to do these things beforehand. Yeah. But we know an awful lot more now than we did the last time. Is that right? How, how much help is that? Or we, are... we, well, the thing was, of course, we knew a lot about coronaviruses uh, already in January 2020, mm. or the field did. I, I, I knew comparatively little, but I had to learn pretty quickly. But a lot was known about coronaviruses, mm. thanks to people who were working on coronaviruses all those years, not just because of the original SARS, but just because of these you know, academic research and basic mm. fundamental academic research that that this is the drum that I'm going to be banging now for the rest of my career is that we need more funding for this kind of nerdy, you know, mm. esoteric, you, you know, people who study a, a very specific problem that doesn't seem to have major mm. global health implications, but it did. And so we were able to, or the field, sometimes I say we, I don't want you to think it's my lab, but this this, the, the, field, the virologists in, in, were able to develop vaccines against this very, very quickly mm. because of what we knew about coronaviruses, basically, uh, originally from before. So we did have a bit, of, we weren't stand. it wasn't a completely new uh, alien life form that came, mm. it, it, you know, it was known. Uh, now, again, to com continue that, we know so much more about coronaviruses generally because mm. everyone in the world has been studying COVID, SARS-CoV-2 virus. So we know a lot more. Uh, plus, uh, so many millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people now have been vaccinated and or, or have been sick with the virus. So there is there is uh, a certain amount of immunity in the human population uh, against COVID. Now, Omicron has evolved to avoid antibody, the, the, the main weapons of the of the antibody repertoire. But as some of my colleagues are, are going to very soon publish, um, there are antibodies that are in there, in, in us that have been vaccinated or, or people who've been sick or both, uh, we have antibodies that, that uh, will recognise so when we get or if we get an Omicron infection, um, they will get reactivated and, and will evolve very quickly to, to attack Omicron. Mm. And I suspect that um, is part of the reason why Omicron seems to be, and it's very early yet, but seems to be causing less severe disease. And mm. it's probably because a lot of people have antibodies mm. that aren't terribly effective, but they can catch up. Okay. And so people don't get so sick. But there's also other arms of the immune system that are that are involved there. But we're in a much better place now. We're not, this is not January 2020 again. No. 
so we, we have a head start on this one. If we look at Omicron, though, because there is a tendency, there's a great expression now called hopium, where everybody's clinging to every piece of positive information, going, yes, you know. Yeah. Uh, as a scientist, you don't do that, right? But if we look at this now, um, we talk about you know, Omicron being less severe. I suppose it depends on who it infects as well. And we have to be you know, cognizant of the fact that our people with uh, suppressed immune systems and that. Is there a possibility that this virus is going to go back the other way and that, you know, it might mutate into something more severe? Now, I'm asking for a possibility, not a probability. Yeah, I mean, we, you, can't, you can't exclude anything. Um, um, there, there may be... Uh, I, I, yes, it's possible. Mm -hmm. I think it's unlikely that it will, be, it will mutate to become more... give a more severe illness, mm -hmm. but uh, especially now since... Uh, so many people have, have experienced the spike protein either mm. through vaccination or through infection. Uh, so I don't think we should be worried about that. But I, I, but the constant worry of immune escape is always going to be there, mm. as, as Omicron has shown us. Uh, it, um, we were worried about Delta, you know, late last year. Uh, Delta was a, a mutation that allowed the virus to be more transmissible, mm. but was still hit by the antibodies. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we were talking about the possibility of Delta Plus, where Delta would pick up some extra mutations to escape. And what actually happened was a whole new thing just came up, a, a lineage that was, you know, replicating away there in, in Southern Africa, uh, which became Omicron. Mm. And it's completely taken over. Delta is, Delta is being pushed. It's just out the window now, can it? Well, it, it just, it can't keep up because Delta is still sensitive to our antibodies. Yeah. Whereas Omicron isn't. So... So uh, mutation to cause a more severe illness, which is your original question. I don't, I don't, that, that, that would be terrible and we shouldn't say it won't happen, but uh, less likely than uh, immune escape or continued immune escape. So now when we get more, uh, uh, maybe vaccines that are directed against Omicron or more booster shots that will give us more, they'll still be the virus. It'll still be there and it'll still be evolving and finding ways around that. So... Uh, yeah, uh, we're going to be living with it for a while. Uh, uh, um, I wouldn't use the word endemic, but it's going to be around and we'll probably have to be taking boosters for some time. You reckon it's going to be just once every six months, once every year, whatever? Well, it, for, the, for, for the foreseeable future, yeah. Mm. But in long 10, 20 years, I can't predict, but um, I don't think it's going to go away. In, in layman's terms, the one very unfortunate thing I found as a journalist about this whole process is that I can't interview a virus, right? Uh, the one thing that I understand that it wants to do is it wants to survive. So it changes and mutates then to make itself be it more transmissible, to find a way to bind to receptors and that kind of thing. Is that it? I mean, it's a very simple organism at the end of the day. So, and again, it's, you know, these things are all over the place. How would you describe the sort of scientific process? Are you dealing with, you know, a very sort of intelligent enemy here or is it just a, a puzzle to be solved? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And it's one that, that uh, you know, we have that conversation with our students a lot of the time do you think viruses are living uh, they're certainly not intelligent entities in that way but but uh, evolution is very complex and biology is is extraordinarily complex the, the cell is is a complex little machine and the immune system so we're dealing with something that it has has the ability to evolve a little bit faster than other organisms mm. right uh, or a lot faster essentially it will exploit every possible niche and we have a fair understanding of biology now, but it's more complex than we think. Mm. And so the virus is going to, by trial and error, is going to find all these e ecological niches that we maybe can't predict, some we can and some we can't. Mm. Uh, 
so yeah, it's useful to think of it as an intelligent, uh, you know, entity that's finding all these tricks. But the reality is, it's just, it's just a a a, a, a thing that replicates mm. uh, in a sloppy way. So it makes mistakes as it's copying, and that that weakness is what gives it the strength of being able to evolve. Mm. So in every in every cell that's producing viruses. There's going to be a lot of mutated viruses, some of which, most of which will be useless. They'll have mutations that won't allow them to replicate better. Some will be mutations that won't make any difference. And then a very, very small number of mutations that the virus picks up will be allowing that virus to maybe replicate in a different cell type mm. or, or something. Like that. And that's kind of the molecular basis for how viruses evolve and find these mm. different niches. And, and the more replication that's going on, the more chance that that will happen. Mm. And that's kind of, again, that's why we need to be vaccinated. Uh, we need to get those last people that are holding out against vaccination and, uh, and, and try to convince them to get vaccinated because they are becoming the reservoirs for this virus to mm. replicate and find these ways to mutate. There's a bigger issue around that as well, because if you look at the statistics in the global south, for instance, because of the fact that patents uh, exist and because of the fact that viruses are patented and you can't just make your own, you know... Or vaccines. In, yeah. Oh, sorry, vaccines are, are patented. Um, that th there is a sort of an inequality there. And, no doubt. And what, you, what you're saying to me basically is that by having that inequality, by having so many people in one place not vaccinated, effectively it's a sort of a Petri dish. It's a, it's a testing ground for these things to evolve. Yeah. Totally. And, and uh, that's, uh, we had this discussion yesterday with my colleagues that, you know, of course, I'll, I'll go take my booster shot as soon as it's as soon as I'm eligible for it. Uh, but that's the, that's a, a short term solution for me personally. And what a long term solution for for us is to vac the whole world needs to be vaccinated uh, to stop these yeah, petri dishes. And, and um, yeah, the, the, the inequality uh, is always going to be. You know, the global, the global inequality is just, just we're never going to, um, it's always going to be present. And, and, you know, these big companies, exactly as you say, they own the patents. Uh, some of them uh, are being quite generous in terms of shipping out vaccines to, to other countries and, and maybe not making the big profits that they could have done. Uh, but there's clearly inequalities there and we need to get those vaccines out to those companies, uh, to those countries. Mm. Um, but that's not my expertise at all. No. Just, yeah, um, you see, I'm always very conscious of when you and me talk with the microphone on, you're talking to me as a scientist. So I don't like to ask you for, <laughs> yeah, but, but I, don't, I don't like to ask you for your opinions because you don't want to say anything that you can't stand over as a scientist kind of thing. So I hate putting you on the spot you like know, this. No, but, but no, that's true. But my science isn't, the, the work that we do here isn't about vaccine. Mm. So, so I don't feel like, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not, funded by any of these companies yeah, yeah. So, so i don't feel like i, I need to uh, uh represent them I, I can give you my personal opinion which is which is just that that yeah that, that, that uh, uh yeah um I, I would love to see a more successful rollout of vaccines in in countries where there's low rates right now for for many reasons mm. If we go back to the virus itself, right, one of the fundamental things, if you remember back to when the Wuhan virus was isolated and identified, you know, I think Anders Tegnell, the state epidemiologist, got a, an email on New Year's Eve and that was the first time he was aware of it here. Um, but effectively a virus, like if you have a virus and you never meet anybody else, your body will eventually produce antibodies and that's the end of it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the really like lowest level possible of, okay, this is why we need to social social distancing. This is why we need to isolate people and that kind of thing. 
are we past the point now where that's useful? Because, like I say, you didn't want to use the word endemic, but you know, Omicron is sort of pretty much all around us now. Mm. Are we past the point where that kind of behaviour is useful? Are we past the point where masks are useful? Or is there still something that can be done uh, to sort of you know, restrict the, 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 the spread of the virus? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, there's also the... the yeah, I mean, absolutely. Masks in in busy areas where you can't uh, you can't social distance, where you don't know the people you're interacting with. Uh, you know, I, I have a mask in my pocket right now, and mm. I wear it when I go to the lunch restaurant or whatever mm. to to get takeaway. <laughs> uh, but um, and and uh, uh, we we yeah we we need to do that, and I think that's a lesson. Even when SARS CoV two or COVID you know re- recedes into when, when we when we have it under largely control flu season comes every year and people mm. die of flu every year old older people and and, and young uh, as well uh, so w- maybe we can learn now to be a bit better in mm. terms of of uh, of better behavior in terms of virus uh, security or virus safety mm. um, i don't i hope we don't have to you know keep carrying masks around with us all the time but um we can learn to be better in terms of social distancing, I think. It's funny because um, I always found it almost offensive if you saw sort of an Asian person, because masks have been part of Asian culture for quite a long time due yeah. to both pollution and viruses, right? right. And uh, you'd see them on the underground in London or here in Stockholm or whatever, and you actually took offence because it's like, you know, you're the leper. You're the one who's unclean. Spread. But it's actually the other way around. Yeah. It's to stop you from spreading these yeah. things. Yeah, and I think, and I think it's, a lot of people still don't get that. Yeah. Um, I, I, and... Um, now I, I haven't been a, a, a mask evangelist at all, but but I've warned them uh, when you know uh, when the 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 Smith's breeding. Sometimes the Swedish word comes quicker. Yeah, but the when infection the of the yeah, virus transmission was, was at its highest uh, than than I was, and when I went home to Ireland at the, at Christmas, uh, you know, I was happy to see people wearing them hmm. a lot. Uh, uh, so. Um, yeah, I forgot now what your original question was, but but uh, yeah, it, it's just that, that kind of sort of cultural change because you know we never would have considered yeah, right, it two sorry. years ago. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I remember myself traveling in Asia, seeing people with masks, and I was like, what? And I thought it was it was a hangover from the original SARS because they they because SARS one mm. was a much more uh, uh, pathogenic or much more lethal problem, and it didn't spread around the world, thankfully, mm. uh, but. Um, but yeah, and actually a student, so in, in 2019, just before the pandemic, there was a student that came to one of my classes and she had a mask on. And it's because she herself had a cold mm. and she didn't want to transmit it. And, 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 I, and I thought, that, oh, that's a pretty nice move. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing that. And then the pandemic came and it's like, okay, she was pretty wise. Yeah. It wasn't COVID that she had, of course. It was just a cold. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think... Um, when you feel symptoms, you should stay home. And if you have to go out, or if the symptoms are not so are not so severe, then you know, put a mask on. I think that's that that you know stops spreading. But indeed, you're right. I also when first saw people wearing masks, I was like, well, what do you think you're going to catch from me? But yeah. it was exactly the other way around. You'd be ringing a bell and shouting "unclean" as you go down yeah, the street. Yeah, you know? yeah. And but I, and it's it's amazing to read on Twitter and and you know the the. People are still offended by seeing people wearing masks. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, reports about people shouting at uh, others for wearing masks. It's, it's crazy. It's remarkable. 
This is a community podcast. It's a listener-supported podcast, and you can support it in one of three ways. You can go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm and sign up to make a monthly contribution. You can donate once off via Swish to 123 2424166. That's 123 2424166. Or you can email Irish and Sweden podcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsoring the pod. Your donations are what keeps this podcast going, so please do support the show. The Karolinska Institute here in Seoul now, right on the edge of the city. They like to say they're a city themselves, but nobody gives a shit about that. <laughs> um, is there many Irish people working here, Jay? Uh, there's a few, actually. Uh, um, so when I, I, I've been here 22 years. Saves myself. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, when I came and I joined, I've been at this department, Department of Microbiology, uh, Tumor Biology and Cell Biology for the whole time. Yeah. And when I joined... Uh, the person who's shown me around said, oh, there's another Irish guy. Uh, you have to come and meet him. And so I, I went to, and, I, and his name was Benedict. And he, I said to him, how long have you been here? And he goes, six years. And I said, I'll never be here that long. <laughs> and now he's here 28 years and I'm here 22. And he just works down the corridor. Now. He's just down there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but there, there's a few Irish people around, but not, not so many. Um, yeah. But there's not that many British people either. So uh, mm. uh, there's a lot of... Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it quite international. Hmm. So we, we tend to, us, us sort of English speakers tend to migrate, you know. Towards one another. Yeah, there's a few Irish people around. Um, when you came to Karolinska first 22 years ago, right, th- this place had a reputation, certainly among medical or people in sciences, as being, you know, one of the better places to work. Was that what attracted you to coming to Sweden? Uh, no, if I'm honest, I'd never, KI, Karolinska Institute wasn't really on my radar at all. And uh, I, I, I studied, I did a PhD in virology in the UK. Mm-hmm. Actually, at, at a, a foot and mouth disease virus I was working on that. Hey, I've done a popular Irish, one of the greatest Irish hits of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you remember, actually, just, 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 just to uh, uh, a tangent for a moment, the, the foot and mouth outbreak that they had in the UK was in, in the first one was in, 2000, 2001, <laughs> just after I left. And, uh, you know, my colleagues back in the place where I did, did, had studied my PhD were working on foot and mouth. And then when, when that outbreak came, all of their work went in the bin. And then they had to just work on pandemic or epidemic related, outbreak related <laughs> things. And I remember thinking at that time, wow, I really dodged a bullet by graduating and getting out just before that happened. Uh, because, you know, my PhD would have been on ice for years, yeah. probably. Uh, and it was a kind of an eerie sort of foreshadowing of what happened then mm. two years ago, where everything we were doing in, in December 2019 uh, just went on the shelf or in, in the freezers, literally. Yeah. Because we just, we're, we, we and hundreds of labs around the world, if not thousands of labs, did the same. Forget mm. what you're doing. Work on this now. Mm. Um so, but your, your question was about KI. Uh, no, so Karolinska, I, I, I chose the lab that I came to do my, what's called postdoc, which is a st- the, the step in this career that you do after your PhD. Mm. You go with your newfound uh, um, um, experience to work in another lab with, with another professor uh, and you work in his or her lab for a couple of years. That's called postdoc, postdoctoral mm. work. And, and then my, my idea was I would come somewhere in the world and do a postdoc for a few years and then go somewhere else in the world and then maybe migrate back to the UK or to Ireland. Mm. Uh, at that time, I was thinking Ireland was, I wanted to go back and virology wasn't a particularly well-developed subject there in Ireland at that time, which is why I went to the UK. So that was my dream. I would end up back. So it wasn't here. I didn't come here to work at KI. Mm. Uh, in the end, uh, I stayed here. 
uh, never sort of made that next step and, and sort of uh, developed now my own research line and uh, yeah. have my own lab now and just was promoted to professor just a few months ago. So congratulations! Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, you have your own team here. There's young people from all over the world coming to yeah, work with yeah. Jerry McInerney these yeah, days. Yeah, well, we have um, eight people in my lab now, um, and they're hiring at least one more this mm -hmm. year. Uh, and then we have master students that come for shorter yeah. trips from from around the world. I haven't had any from Ireland. Um, I had one girl a few years ago who was working in the UK and came, but. Um, yeah, not not so much. And day to day now, like you say, the pause button was pressed on pretty much everything that wasn't SARS-CoV-2 related. Is that what you're doing now? Are you still in this battle looking for alpacas and antibodies? No. Uh, well, yeah, a, a little bit. So we, we have another... So the second round of the, 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 anti, the uh, alpaca antibody work is coming out now in a, in a couple of weeks uh, where we... Um, the, the Tyson thing happened and, and you, you were involved in, in promoting that, which was great. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, we had immunized a second alpaca. Uh, this time, her name was Funny. <laughs> we don't name the uh, animals. But uh, um, we got some extraordinarily good antibodies from, from, okay. that, uh, from that project. Um, and we, we put them up on, on the internet, a resource called BioArchive, where you can put your work up with, before it gets peer-reviewed and, mm. and goes through the dusty old academic publishing process. So we put that out about six months ago. And in the meantime, it's taken all this time for us to get it published in actual academic journals. And they're coming out next week. And we were very, very excited about this work when we put them up on the bioarchive. Mm. In the meantime, of course, just like uh, Tyson antibodies, the funny antibodies are now largely irrelevant because of Omicron. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so this bittersweet thing we'll have next year, we may even have a press release about them, about these nice antibodies, but they're already obsolete. <laughs> but the, the process we used, uh, we used a sort of a computational pipeline with a lot of mathematics that some colleagues of mine helped us with, um, or didn't help us with, they did it. Uh, uh, so we, we're, we, we've sort of developed this new way to find very good antibodies mm. in very quickly. So uh, those papers will be coming out, uh, but the antibodies we're describing in those papers won't be very useful. But uh, next week, as soon as my team are all back from their um, uh, Christmas holidays, we're going to start doing it again now, looking for mm. Omicron binders. And uh, we're, we're quite confident that we'll find mm. and we'll be able to then you know, put out some antibodies that will bind to Omicron and will block the infection and could potentially be useful as therapeutics. I think that pretty much sums up science because I think we as lay people don't really understand that science isn't about getting definite answers to certain questions. Science, it's not, I'm not going to describe it as hit and miss, but there's an awful lot of work that goes into excluding stuff so yeah. I suppose yeah. the last question I'd like to ask you, Jerry, and it's one of the things that has sort of, you know, been reduced over time is that people say, oh, you know, if you have to take a booster shot, then the vaccine doesn't work. Can people still trust science? What can they oh. expect from science when it comes to these things? Because like you say, we're in this for the long haul now. Well, I mean, science, uh, you know, you're, I'm, uh, this is what, what I believe in more than anything. Science, the scientific method is the greatest invention of mankind, right? Because, because it's got nothing to do... Uh, if, if my work is wrong and the stuff that I publish is wrong, uh, it'll get destroyed by my peers. You know, they'll it'll just they'll be just a pile on. Uh, and so we have to we have just have to make incremental steps forward uh, all the time. Um, and our, our normal work, pre-pandemic work, has been you know studying uh, how the viruses replicate in cells, molecular biology. Uh, and there, there's no definite answers either, but you, you, you publish what you 
you think you can and, and you, you, your peers can read it and they can reproduce it. And if they reproduce it, then it becomes knowledge, mm. right? Uh, with the with the COVID, uh, uh, you know the the Tyson antibodies and now the funny antibodies that we've made, they're they're bloody good antibodies. Mm. They work, but they work against a protein that the virus isn't using anymore. Yeah. So uh, people can can people still trust science? I mean, we have to trust science. It's got us this far. I mean, it, it and uh, um, the the vaccines have been extraordinarily successful. Uh, and the, the antivirals that are coming out will be also. Um, and, you know, if we look at pandemics in the past, uh, hundreds of millions of people are, you know, you know, some of the pandemics in the past just wiped out whole populations or, or just, and we haven't seen that with mm. this. We could have done, um, you know, a very, a very low mortality with this disease, but a very high population. So mm. it would have added up to a lot of people. Um I think that uh, we're we're just going to continue doing what we do, uh, the side, the field, uh, and I think we'll get it under control. I think we're again going back to an earlier question. We're we're in a much better place now than we were, mm. so people should not think that we're back to square one with a whole new virus coming mm. at us and our vaccines are useless. That's not the case. Mm. Um, uh, we we'll, we will need boosters. We may need uh, Omicron specific vaccines, although I doubt it. Um, but we'll we'll get this under control and then we'll be ready for the next one. Is there any going back to normal as we knew it before in terms of travel and media, or are we looking for a new normal now? Uh, new normal, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, may, maybe we were maybe the amount of global travel we were doing is kind of unsustainable anyway for other reasons, mm. right? So uh, maybe we need to we need to learn. Certainly, my field and my my, you know colleagues will will be traveling less to conferences uh we used i used to go to a conference every year in the states or in asia or or you know if there was one in in the uk or ireland i'd go as well mm. uh but there'll be there'll be less of those we have online conferences which is not, not quite the same thing but you can you can get the info that's being presented um so the new normal i think will have to involve less of that mm. less travel but going into a busy pub or a busy restaurant, uh, that's that that's a pleasure that I wouldn't like to lose in the long term, you know, and, and or going to sporting events or just events generally where there's a high concentration of people. Mm. We, we'll have to probably understand that that's a high risk activity now, mm. which we maybe never thought of before. And it will be for... It will be for the, consider, for the foreseeable future, yeah, mm. unfortunately. And... and Maybe a lot of the time when we got colds or flus in the past were maybe a week after we had been to some event mm. and never never made that connection. Yeah. Maybe we can think about that now going forward. Is it really worth the risk of, of getting, you know, like pre-Christmas certain events that I was invited to, what do you call it, Yule boards and, and yeah, Christmas like uh, dinners yeah, and, and, kind of, and work yeah. parties and that. It was like, well, I want to travel home to see my parents at, the, mm. at, at Christmas and bring my daughter and, and, and that's dependent on me having a negative PCR test, right? Mm. Yeah. So why the hell would I want to go to some Christmas party that mm. would be quite enjoyable but I'd be risking not being able or to... Or Christmas with your family yeah, in Ireland, yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, that's probably, maybe, hopefully we won't have to take PCR tests every time we travel in the future but... Um, mm. 
And in this new normal, is Jerry McInerney still at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden? I do you think, think so. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been here for this long. I did try. Uh, I did try and get out. Um, just to, I can tell you because it was sort of Ireland related. I, I was um, about ten years ago or twelve years ago. Trinity College advertised for a lectureship in virology, huh? and uh, which which would have been when I was a student my absolute dream job. You know, yeah. lecture in Trinity. Uh, what a, what a what a great uh, opportunity! So I applied for it, and it, but it was a couple of years after the crash. Yeah, yeah. And they told me in the interview, uh, the country's bankrupt. Uh, we can't offer you uh, what we'd like to be able to give you to help you set up your research, mm. and your salary is going to be pretty low as well. Uh, <laughs> really so sugar like, on that one. So <laughs> that was that was a really bittersweet. Uh, you know, here I am being interviewed, and subsequently was offered. Yeah. Uh, what would have been my absolute dream job just a few years earlier. So by the way, there's no money. But by the way, there's no money, yeah. <laughs> and so I was better off in the doldrums of the postdoc or post-postdoc position here at Karolinska and life in Sweden than I was taken, you know, back in my home country yeah. in Dublin. And I, I, so it was really, it was a kind of a reminder, reminder if I needed it, that, that Sweden is a pretty good place to live and it's a good place to work. Yeah. Uh, and now with 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 you know with a bit of luck and and a bit of hard work we, I've managed to make my position more secure here in the pandemic I hate to say it but it's certainly helped yeah that's it's put, put a spotlight on the work that virology virologists and immunologists are doing hmm. uh, so funding opportunities in the future shouldn't be so difficult hmm. we shouldn't have to compete so hard for but people will kind of believe us now when we say that these Viruses are worth studying uh, because some of this basic research, as I was saying earlier, some of this basic research that maybe we didn't see a massive use for yeah. has, you know, saved the world in inverted commas because the vaccines were developed so quickly. And we'd like to think that uh, we, I, I would like to think that my work going forward would be able to contribute maybe a little bit, not maybe at that level saving the world, but a little bit to. Uh, uh, to knowing more about viruses in the face of future pandemics. That's, that's my agenda. And, and it looks like I'm going to be here, family now, another baby on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'll be in Sweden for the foreseeable future for sure. And I hope at Karolinska, yeah. Well, who would have thought 22 years ago when you moved over here for a little bit of postdoc research yeah, that you'd yeah. end up being one of the rock stars of science here at Karolinska <laughs> well, that, Institute? That, that I'm certainly not. But uh, um, I, I never would have thought I'd be here for this long. And I never would have thought that I'd be here for what looks like probably my whole career. There you go. There's two of us in that. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, yeah. thanks very much for speaking to me. Thank you. For, it's been a pleasure. Uh, now, they talk about Sweden, but Sweden is suffering very gravely. You know that, right? Sweden did that. The herd. They call it the herd. Uh, Sweden is suffering very, very badly. Uh, it's a way of doing it, but... The, it, it, you know, everybody has been watching everybody else. Just one question in English to Anders Tegnell. Uh, last night, the U.S. President Donald Trump said that Sweden is suffering very greatly. I wondered if you were surprised by that assessment and if you share his opinion. No, as we said here before, no, we don't share his opinion. Of course, we're suffering. Everybody in the world is suffering right now in different ways. But Swedish healthcare, which I guess he alludes to, is very difficult to understand. Uh, is taking care of this in, in a very, very good manner. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of stress on the personnel, uh, and uh, it's really a fight for them every day, but uh, it's working. And the Swedish healthcare is 
delivering results just as good as they ever done. And uh, Swedish healthcare is one of the best in the world. And it continues to be like that. There you go. That was Jerry McInerney there. And now we have moved from Solna, from the old city of Solna, down to Gamla Stan. And the finest Irish pub, not just in Stockholm, but in all of Sweden. I don't know why he's arching his eyebrows there, but I'm talking to Martin Hessian in the kitchen of this wonderful pub, Veerstrom's here. Martin, the last time, or the last couple of times you and me were here speaking, it was at really the height of the pandemic in Sweden. So could you just maybe start by explaining the effects that the few restrictions that Sweden had had on your business? I think, uh, in principle, the restrictions were good. It kept this uh, community open and people had a possibility to go out, to eat, to drink, to live a relatively normal life. Uh, But for us, running small businesses, whether it's a pub or whether it was a small shop in a shopping centre, people weren't coming in. And uh, for us in the restaurant business, our hours were uh, uh, shorter. So we were just open here in the afternoon between 3 and 8 o'clock. And to pay the bills and to pay the staff, opening those hours were very, very difficult. Mm. So economically, uh, there wasn't any, it was just about survival. Mm. And then psychologically, it was a very tif- tough battle to come into work every day and uh, with this dark cloud hanging over one all the time. How many people did you have working here at the start of the pandemic? Uh, before the pandemic, were about 11 people between full-time and part-time staff. And then how many people was it after all the restrictions were done? Uh, we were myself and two girls working part-time. And that was it? That was it. So I used to come in and work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, serve in the bar and cook food in the same, uh, in the same shift. Mm. And the girls then used to come in at the weekends and uh, help out. So it was, uh, as I understand what they did and why they did it, the government, but uh, for small business, very difficult. Now, this is a fantastic building uh, in the heart of the old town here in Stockholm. I can imagine there's rent to be paid, right? Uh, were you given any assistance with any of these kinds of things? Because, you know, you, if the costs are mounting up, so are the debts kind of thing, you know? Uh, yeah, we were... Uh, the guy that owns the building is a lovely guy, and uh, he gave us three months with 50% mm. rebate on the rent, which was very generous of him. But since then, we've been paying the full amount. Um... And then uh, we had uh, Omstelling Stud from the government, yeah. and uh, that it helped. We got some money in, I won't deny it, and it was a great help, but it was, uh, it was a drop in the ocean compared to what we usually turn over and what to cover the costs. So we ended up borrowing some money privately and borrowing some money from uh, our suppliers to keep us going. Yeah. And uh, we're out of the woods. We have some taxes that we've pushed up that have to be paid now in the end of January of this year in a few weeks time and uh, hopefully we'll be have a clean slate then. You're sort of in the clear then after that? Hopefully yeah. There's no profits but we're, we don't have uh, big debts left. I think I've been saying for a little while that surviving is the new winning. How has it been for you personally going home every night and putting your head in the pillow knowing that people lost their jobs and that the, you know tomorrow morning you've got to get up and come in here again? Well, we have a fantastic guy specifically in the kitchen and uh, he went through a very traumatic time with his son that was seriously ill at the same time and uh, we had to let him go and uh, that just weighs very, very heavily and, uh, and the other people working here. I mean, some of them, because they're English speaking, went back to the UK or Ireland or maybe the States, but uh, the ones that were here were just living on pittance. Um, my bookkeeping company wanted me to t- do the permitteering for my staff, but because the staff is paid hourly wages, mm. it's very difficult to convert the hours into uh, monthly wages, and uh, so that didn't work out for us. 
So that would be the furlough thing that where people can pay the furlough. Yeah. yeah. And uh, touch wood, if there's any around here. I mean, are you back to normal now? Do you think that the worst of the pandemic is behind you, so to speak? I think in the coming weeks, January and February, because of Omnicom, yeah. uh, we've started to feel it now that it's tapering off again. And uh, I can imagine for the next six weeks, possibly two months, that it will be a little bit quieter. Mm-hmm. And uh, then hopefully it'll pick up again. But at the moment, it's uh, a little bit in between. We're, we're not back to where we were. As we're speaking now, the government is talking about this uh, crack of vaccine passports, and they made it legal today for uh, restaurants to be able... Or not, you know, they, they put the, uh, the laws there to say that, OK, if we need vaccine passports, we can instigate them reasonably quickly. Would that cause you a lot of problems as a publican if you had to check a vaccine passport for every punter coming in the door? It would. I mean, as we're not... The sales aren't what they usually are. It would mean get employing somebody to stand at the door more or less and check the vaccine passes mm. and at a time when you don't have sales to cover extra staff uh, hardly the staff that we have it's uh, that's a catch-22 but if it's a thing that it means that we can be open and that uh, uh, people here won't be uh, get sick and if it's going to be uh, productive for the business and productive for the uh, for the country I've personally nothing against it. Can you see yourself standing there with a QR code reader? Yeah, checking yeah the um, Visita, the Hotel and Restaurant Federation, have already launched one for people, mm. running bars and restaurants, to be able to do that. Um, and I've loaded down, so we're, we're prepared if this does come into fruition. Mm. Now, I think the one question that probably every Irish person in Sweden wants answered is, is Veerstrom's going to be here the next time they're in town? It is. We survived the last, uh, the last uh, COVID. We'll survive this part as well. So it's the, the, the sense of relief that came over me there I haven't felt that in a long time Martin Hessian, thanks very much for talking to me Thank you, cheers There you go That was the wonderful Martin Hessian from the magical Veerstrom's pub in the Gamla Stone in the heart of the old town here in Stockholm uh, full disclosure, Martin very generously, after we had that conversation, uh, said that he might be interested in sponsoring the podcast or advertising on the podcast, which is brilliant. So uh, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him about that because this is a community-supported podcast, but I am a professional journalist, so I've got to make money somewhere. So you can support the show if you have Swish uh, to one two three twenty four twenty four one six six. That's one two three twenty four twenty four one six six. patreon.com man in Stockholm. Um, before Martin's conversation there, you would have heard a couple of little clips. One was of the former US President Donald Trump talking about uh, Sweden and how it handled the pandemic. And that was followed up by me asking the state epidemiologist Anders Tegnell a question at one of the press conferences that the Public Health Authority had last year. Uh, that was long before there was vaccines or any sorts of treatments available. So, um, you know, it's going to take years to work out whether the Swedish strategy was right or wrong or partially right or mostly wrong or whatever. So it's going to take a while before we get to the point where we can say that about any country's mitigation strategy. But one thing, as you would have heard Jerry McInerney say, uh, is that, you know, vaccines are the way to go. And he said to me uh, off air when we were finished with the interview, he said, look, if anybody is in any way hesitant about getting the vaccine, if they're in any way reluctant, if there's something that they feel they need answers to before they book their time, tell them to get in touch with me, right? So you can go and Google Jerry McInerney, Karolinska Institute. You can contact me. I'll give you his contact details. 
uh, and have a chat with him, quite simply. Don't, don't listen to me. He's a scientist. Like I said, you know, you heard him talking there. The man knows what he's on about, right? So he'll be able to answer your questions. It's up to you at the end of the day, right? But at least he'll be able to give you the information that you need in order to be able to make the decision of whether or not, of whether or not you want to go and get the vaccine. You know, both of us, I think, would strongly recommend that everybody gets it. It's just, it's you know, it's the smartest thing to do. But people may not want to do so. So, you know, have a listen to him. See what he says. See if he can deal with the fears that you have. Because, you know, people have fears. That's fine. Whether or not, you know, they're logical or they're reasonable or anything else. That doesn't matter. Fear is fear. I don't like dogs. I don't like dogs I don't own, right? So, and you can tell me, oh, he doesn't bite. Hey, yeah, that makes fuck all difference to me, right? So, um have a chat with him that's the simplest thing thanks again to everybody who gets in touch right every time an episode comes out it seems to inspire a bunch of people to send me messages uh on on facebook and on whatsapp and uh, text messages and everything going, oh that was great yeah listen i thought about this person do you know this girl in gothenburg do you know this person in malmo do you know this lad working up in lulio and new stories keep coming out all the time and this is brilliant especially at this time of the year because at the end of january i'm going to be going off to the winter olympics in beijing and there'll be both Irish and Swedish people over there, and there'll be a little bit of a sports focus there as well, so that we can all enjoy these games together. But I also want to keep the normal podcast going, keep them ticking over. So I'm trying to sort of bunker as much material as possible before I go. So keep those ideas coming, because, like, you know, my kids always joke that I can't go down the street here without bumping into somebody I know from the Irish community, and it's pretty much true. But that doesn't mean that I know everybody, and it certainly doesn't mean that I know all their stories. So you'll be hearing, you know, personal stories and sporting stories and professional stories coming out now in the very near future. And keep them coming, because like I say, community podcast, that's it for this episode in the second week of January. Um, very simply, look after yourselves. It's a dark time of the year. It can be difficult now after Christmas. Very easy, you know, coming up to Christmas. Oh, this is great, and there's turkey, and I'll be seeing the whole family. And now you come back in January, and you go, fuck, it's going to be like this until midsummer. Uh, so it's a tough time of the year. So reach out to people around you. Reach out to other Irish people around you. Try to integrate yourself a little bit into your Swedish community. See if you can play a bit of paddle or a bit of inabandi. If you can find somebody to get involved with there, because it certainly does make these dark winter nights all the shorter as i hope this podcast is doing for you as well so i suppose like we say at the end of every other episode look after yourselves and look after one another and i'll be talking to you again very very soon indeed take care out there